Welcome to The Great Exchange, a podcast about examining the lies that we believe and exchanging them for God's truth. I'm your host, Brady Cohn, and today it's just me. You're stuck with me the entire time. But today we are talking about a big issue. But before we get to that issue, I want to remind you, make sure you hit the like button on this video. Make sure you share with some of your friends. Subscribe to our YouTube channel. Make sure you tell your friends about this podcast. We'd really, really appreciate it. You can also go to CalibrateMinistries.com to check out more resources and find out how you can support the ministry. We are completely funded by people like you who give generously. And so we appreciate your support. But today we are taking on a big question. The question we're going to talk about is, are people born gay? That's the question I get at just about every Q&A event that I do. And it's a big topic. Many times when I talk to those events, it's like, oh, I only have like two minutes to answer this question. And I really wish that I had like 30 minutes. And so today I have 30 minutes. So we're going to dive into it a little bit deeper than I'm normally able to do. So, are people born gay? The first thing I like doing answering that question is ask another question. Does it matter? Does it matter if people who are gay are, are born gay or not? Uh, and there's a yes to that question and there's a no to that question. Uh, the no to that question is, it doesn't matter if we're born gay because we're all born into sin. We're all we're all uh, born in a sin, so we're happy to be born again because none of us were born right the first time. So that's why we have to be born again in Jesus. John 3, 6 and 7 says, Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the Spirit gives birth to Spirit. You should not be surprised at my saying, you must be born again. So for the sake of knowing Jesus and for the sake of evangelism uh, and living the Christian life, it, it actually doesn't matter. It doesn't matter at all, even though our society thinks it's a very important uh, question for, for several reasons. And the society thinks that it has the answer. But we're going to dig into some of that. So it doesn't matter for the sake of evangelism. Uh, but it matters to the LGBTQ community and to our their allies because they claim that if they are born uh, gay, then they're entitled to live that way. But I want to clarify something first. I want to clarify, what do we even mean by the word gay? Because the word gay can mean a lot of things. Uh, it can mean, there's really three categories. It can mean attractions, it can mean uh, lifestyle, and it can mean identity. And so for the sake of uh, today's topic, we are going to talk about attractions. So I'm going to refer more to people who have same-sex attraction because it's really the attraction that they are claiming that we are born with. And it's out of that attraction that later in life, people form an identity around that attraction and they start making lifestyle choices and decisions and form a lifestyle around that identity and the attraction. So at the root, at the heart of what's really being debated is actually the attraction. So I, I prefer the term same-sex attraction. That's what I refer to as a lot because I don't identify as gay even though I experience same-sex attractions because it's not my identity. It's not who I am. It's also uh, not the lifestyle I'm living, but sometimes I still have experienced same-sex attraction. And so uh, that's, a, I think, a much better term to describe what we are talking about today. So it does matter deeply to the LGBTQ community because that's the foundation of 
how they build their humanity, of how they build their agenda. Their whole agenda rests on the premise that people are born same-sex attracted and they think that therefore they are entitled to live a life that reflects that. They're entitled to live you know, in a same-sex marriage. They're entitled to express uh, those desires if they're born with it, which that's a false premise because we're like... I've said we're all born in sin, but that's the foundation that they're building their agenda is based on that those false premises. One that because they're that they might be born with same sex attraction, and secondly, uh, if they're born with same sex attraction, they're entitled to living a life that expresses it. And so that's why many times the LGBTQ community and their allies feel so threatened by someone like me. They feel threatened by someone like me because I come along and I'm living differently. And so I wasn't like predetermined to be gay. It's like, I, I have a choice over the way that I live. I, I can deny myself and they feel threatened by that because that undermines the entire foundation that they've built their agenda on, which is the premise that people are born same-sex attracted, therefore they have no choice over how they live their life. And so as we dig into this, I want people to understand that this is complicated and there's a lot of nuances. Many times we as Christians, we give quick answers even though we don't actually seek an understanding. So I don't want us to just have quick one-line answers. I want us to have a deep understanding of the different nuances and complexities of these issues. And so let's dig into some of the nuances. Uh, the first is this, is one is that there's no scientific evidence that says people are born same-sex attracted. And I think that this is such a misconception in our world because if you talk to anyone who subscribes to that lifestyle, who are their allies, um, who has this you know, uh, LGBTQ ideology, they claim that science has proven that people are born gay, that it can't change at all. Uh, they say science has proven people are born gay, therefore they conclude that it, it can't ever be changed. That's just who someone is. But there's actually no science that says that. There's no science that has ever proven that people were born gay. There's, they've tried to find a gay gene that uh, would uh, indicate that people are born with genetics that would make them same-sex attracted. And uh, they've never found any such thing. And it actually is really impossible because with the way genetics work, you pass your genetics on to the next generations. And so if you were born with genetics that predetermined that you are same-sex attracted, therefore gay or homosexual, uh, you can't procreate naturally, you know, and so you can't pass those genetics on to the next generation. And so there's clearly no um, uh, gay genetics that would make someone uh, uh, be predetermined to be same-sex attracted or homosexual. Uh, there's also a lot of studies that were done back in the 90s. There's like the Simon McVeigh study, a whole bunch of these studies that um, when they came out, the headlines would say, oh, this study proves that people are, are born gay. Uh, there's a study done on twins, studying if one twin is gay, is the other one uh, likely to be gay? And the answer was no, there's a little bit of a higher percentage chance that they're gay than the rest of the population. But um, if it was genetic, then if one was gay, then it'd be like 100% chance that the other twin is gay. And that just was not the case at all. But all these headlines would say, oh, science proves that people are born gay. But even the authors 
of those studies uh, refuted that and said, no, our data is completely being twisted and taken out of context, and it doesn't prove that at all. But I think that people ran with that narrative, and people have just assumed it to be true. Uh, one of the complexities of this issue is that people who, many times in the LGBTQ community, uh, they feel like they're born that way. And I just, I understand that. I understand what it feels like that because I, I felt that too. I felt like I'm just gay and this is who I have to be. And it does feel like to the core that this is just so natural. This is so normal. This is the way I have to be. And I really try not to have that argument with a non-believer because I, I understand so deeply how they are convinced. And for the sake of them knowing Jesus, it, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter uh, if, if they happen to be born with same-sex attraction or not. They can still submit themselves and surrender themselves to Jesus. And I've never seen it be an, uh, an argument that convinces a non-believer to follow Christ. They don't have the Holy Spirit in them illuminating that area of their life and illuminating that area of their heart. And so I never try to convince them of that. Uh, if they're open to talking about it and they want to understand the truth, and that's obviously, that's great. Then we'll go there. We'll talk about it. Um, but I don't get into an argument with a, with a non-believer about that aspect. And so here we've come to the conclusion, for the sake of evangelism, uh, it is not important. Um, it does not matter. Uh, but where I do think it matters some is for the sake of discipleship. If someone I know has surrendered their life to Jesus and they they were living the gay lifestyle, um, they had the gay identity, they've obviously had same-sex attractions, and they're trying to walk with Jesus, I believe that it's a valid question for the sake of discipleship as they become more like Jesus over the course of their lifetime. In my own life, um, I've seen, you know, that... I'm, these feelings are not natural or normal, but when you combine someone's circumstances and their specific personality and their brokenness, over the course of our life and our development, it leads to complex feelings. It leads to desires. It leads to idolatry. It leads to uh, brokenness that that uh, um, leads us to sin, that that helps us fall into sin. Our hearts deceive us. And so as I can look at my past, I can see how my circumstances combined with my specific personality and then combine that with our brokenness that comes from humanity uh, that helps us misconstrue things, to misinterpret what's going on in life. Uh, that led to same-sex attraction. It led to me seeking something from men that I shouldn't be seeking from them. And in my own life, um, that was a really life-changing revelation because it gave me a tool to fight. It gave me a tool to fight because once I saw that this is not natural or this is not normal, this is not the way I'm supposed to be, it's like God can sanctify this. God can redeem this area of my life. I don't have to go the rest of my life white-knuckling it, just trying to, my hardest to deny myself. But it's like, I mean, like, God can step into this area of my life and he can provide transformation. And that transformation does take uh, a lifetime. And none of us are fully transformed on this side of the cross. But God says he'll be faithful to complete the good work he started in us. Um, but it gave me tools to understand 
that this is not who I am. It's not who I have to be. And certainly, even if I was born with same-sex attraction, I still deny myself. But uh, understanding the truth behind my same-sex attraction helped me go down the road of discipleship, of becoming more and more whole in Jesus. And so I think that for the sake of discipleship, it is very important. In my own life, as I started to go down this road of discipleship, uh, one of the light bulb moments was me discovering that I was attracted to men who had the things that I wanted. Uh, and I think I could break that down into three different categories. Uh, I was attracted to men who had the personality traits I wanted, the uh, talents and abilities, and the physical characteristics. And so once I started to understand that, um, everything made so much more sense because I saw that this isn't natural. This isn't the way I was born. It's my heart seeking something from someone else to fulfill a desire in me, to fulfill an insecurity, to take something from them that I want for myself. Uh, and that can be a di whole different paradigm for discipleship and allowing the Lord untwist when my heart is twisted. And so as I went through that discipleship process, I would start to evaluate once I, you know, maybe met a man who I was attracted to, um, I'd start to evaluate what is my heart actually seeking? What am I actually looking for? What insecurities is he trying to fulfill or am I trying to fulfill um, by having this deep emotional and physical connection with him? And it almost always pointed back to an area where I was insecure about my talents and abilities, my physical characteristics, uh, and my personality. And so um, once I started to figure this out and God started to really illuminate that area of my heart, then I could seek discipleship. I could go to my mentors and my disciples, my community, and, and tell them about this person I'm attracted to. And we could process through what it is that I'm attracted to and what it is it that my heart's trying to seek. And I could have the gospel applied to that area of my life. I could see seek wholeness in Christ in that area. And over time, then, the the attraction to that person would, would go away or, or at least greatly lessen so that I wasn't consumed by them. I wasn't lusting after them because God was healing that area of my heart and helped me find my wholeness in Him instead of in another person. And so making those connections um, in my own life was really key to my discipleship. And many times I see that also in the lives of other same-sex attracted men who I'm walking alongside. And many times when I sit down with them, one of the first conversations I have is about um, how same-sex attraction develops and maybe what they're seeking to compensate for in their own life. And many times it's this blank stare and uh, they say, oh, well, I'm just born this way, aren't I? But once I explain this, like light bulbs start to go off and I can see the wheels turning and they realize, oh, you're right. I am attracted to the men who have something that I want for myself, who make me feel a certain way uh, because I'm insecure in that area. And that gives them that tool to go down a process of discipleship, of finding their wholeness and their hope in Christ so that God can untwist where their hearts can twi have twisted. Um, I want to share several more kind of nuances um, about uh, this whole question. One is an area where I really think that we need some clarity. And that is 
around the word choice. Uh, I think that as Christians, we really use misuse this word choice a lot. Uh, we really misuse and misapply it, and we kind of have this false dichotomy where we think that something is either one way or it has to be another way. And I see this false dichotomy play out when Christians talk about uh, this question of, are people born gay? And they say, well, if people aren't born gay, then they obviously chose it. And uh, that's just a false dichotomy that way oversimplifies these issues. And I, I don't know anyone who just woke up one day and chose same-sex attraction. Uh, I know I certainly didn't. I didn't wake up as, you know, an 11-year-old boy and say, hey, I'm going to be attracted to the same gender today. And that attraction is going to lead me to a deep depression. And I'm going to be suicidal because I'll be so desperate to get rid of it, even though I'm choosing it. It's like, no, like... That, that, that's just ridiculous. Just like no one really chooses the specific sin issues we struggle with. Um, they develop over time as our circumstances are responded to by our heart and our specific personality and mixed in with our brokenness. It leads us to idolatry. It leads us to exchanging the truth about God for a lie and worshiping creation. And we do that in, in many, many ways. Certainly though, we do make choices um, throughout our life that maybe make these sin issues worse. I made choices as a teenager that then made my same-sex attraction worse. Once I uh, found pornography and started to develop that as a habit, that really helped my same-sex attraction snowball in my life. It helped it grow. It helped it really cement it in. It made me want more and more and more of it. Um, then the same thing with sexual encounters, uh, that tends to, um, help these issues snowball and become worse and really cement them in and make them grow. But no one woke up one day as a 11 year old boy and said, I'm going to struggle with same sex attraction today. That's a choice I'm going to make. And so we need to make sure that we are not using those false dichotomies. We need to make sure that we're understanding the complexity, that we listen to people, we understand their heart. If we, we don't want to make assumptions like that because that really uh, burns a lot of bridges and it makes us just look foolish and so uninformed that people don't even want to have a conversation with us. But I want to make sure that we understand that in this conversation, um, uh, the, part of the reasons why it doesn't matter if we're born with same-sex attraction or not is that that Romans 12, 2 says, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of our, your mind. Uh, then you will be able to test and approve what is good, pleasing, and the perfect will of God. And so, uh, regardless of where these attractions came from, we can be transformed. We can be transformed in the renewing of our mind. God did wonderful work in my life in renewing my mind. He, he gave me value. That was part of the renewing of my mind. He showed me that my value does not come from people or relationships. Uh, my value doesn't come from this thing we call romance and trying to get someone to respond to me in a, in a certain way emotionally. Um, that my value comes from Jesus. Uh, God renewed my mind by giving me power, showing that I have power in the Holy Spirit now, that the Holy Spirit is dwelling inside of me, and I have the power now to wake up and choose to live a life that's honoring God and in line with His Word. But that's a power I didn't have as a non-believer, because I was dead in my transgressions. 
He gave me eternal perspective. He gave me perspective to show me that now that I know Jesus, I have everything I need for eternity. I have everything I need in him. And when Jesus spoke his last three words on the cross, when he said, it is finished, he finished the work for me to give me a new mind, to, to give me an eternity with him. And because of that, I can start down this path of internal transformation. And the last way that God renewed my sexuality was give me a new identity. I had let my feelings and attractions inform my identity, like so much of us do in this world, especially the LGBTQ community. But instead, God gave me a new identity, and over time, my identity in my in, in Christ started I weigh my identity in my sexuality to where I started having a completely new identity, and I realized this is not who I am. This is not who I have to be. This doesn't define me. But I am defined by the fact that I am God's child and I am made in his image. One of the, um, I think, nuances that we have to be careful of, though, in discipleship, I've, I've had to be careful of this in my own discipleship and as I walk along other guys, is that as we understand the complexities, as we understand um, maybe what my own heart has twisted, uh, we understand that circumstances in our past um, really informed and uh, are, are, are present and really played into what I feel and the things that I'm twisting, we have to be very careful and not to um, mistake understanding for making excuses. And I see many people who uh, make excuses and they're determined to find reasons in their past um, that excuse their struggle of, uh, well, I, you know, was abused by an older man, or I had this, I had this traumatic event. And it's important to understand those circumstances that may be contributed, uh, but they more contributed to your heart believing a lie. Uh, and, and we can't let those nuances, we can't let that understanding become an excuse. We need to take responsibility for our sin. We need to take responsibility for uh, the choices we've made. We need to take responsibility for the fact that our heart is deceitful and it's wicked. And it says, who can understand it? But God can help us understand it because he understands it. And so we can't ever fully understand our own heart. And so we have to live at peace with allowing God to untwist what our hearts have twisted and trusting that God will give us some understanding and clarity over ways that our past is affecting our present. And at the same time, understand that we are limited in our humanity and we are never going to fully understand everything about ourselves, but we can live a life of surrender anyway. And we can be at peace about that because God knows us. He knows us deeply. He understands everything about us uh, in ways that we never can, in the ways that other people on this earth never could. And so we have to live at peace in that tension. And I think it's a tension moving forward in discipleship with these two concepts of uh, my past is affecting my present and it's affecting my feelings and attractions and I tr want to trust God to untwist that and yet I'm limited in my understanding and I always will be. And so I can't make demands on God for God to instantly take these feelings away or make me understand everything. Uh, but I need to understand that uh, my sin is my sin uh, and I am the one that's culpable for that. I will stand before God and give an answer for that someday. Um, but there are other circumstances that may be contributed to the lies I believed. 
And God in his grace can untwist that. And wrapping up today, I, I really want to encourage us um, to continue to seek clarity and understanding for these difficult issues. So many times as Christians, we just, we want to give simple answers and our simple answers reveal uh, more about us and sometimes our pride uh, and sometimes our arrogance than anything. Um, Proverbs 18, 13 is the verse that I've been reflecting on a lot recently. It says, a person who answers without listening is foolish and disgraceful. And so we shouldn't just give these uh uh, simple and one-line answers, thinking we have it all figured out without listening, uh, because we come across as foolish and disgraceful. And I think that sometimes in our own pride, uh, we in our own arrogance, we want to think that we have everything figured out. We want to think that we have a, a the answer to a complex problem, and that comes from a place of pride and arrogance. Just the other day, I was speaking at a church. And I spoke on this verse from Proverbs 18, 13, a person who answers without listening is foolish and disgraceful. And I said some of these very same things that we need to seek understanding, that we need to not pretend like we have it all figured out and that we have the answer. And right after church, someone came up to me and was like, oh, I just have to tell you this. I, he was telling me that he has two people in his life who are gay and he had figured out that uh, those two people had, their mothers had taken anti-nausea medication when they were pregnant. And I have no idea how he even knows this about these people. But so he concluded that uh, homosexuality is caused by a woman taking anti-nausea medication when she's uh, uh, pregnant with her child, and that's going to cause them to be gay. And so he'd been warning other people, other you know, pregnant women right now, that's like, you should not be taking anti-nausea medication because if you're carrying a boy, he'll turn out to be gay because of it. And I just, when I, when I told that to the pastor afterwards, like, I guess we'll laugh because I don't know whether or not to laugh or to cry. And so I guess we'll, we'll just laugh, but it was so absurd. He had just listened to this message and it just made me cringe. And so this is a person who was giving answers without listening and they came across as foolish and disgraceful. And so we... We should not just not do that. We need to be careful. We need to have nuance and understanding, understand the complexity. And we can do that by doing much more listening than we do speaking. And so if you want to understand what's going on in someone's life, a good thing to do is to ask them, to sit down with them and carry, care for them, to, to ask them deep questions, to understand what idols their hearts are serving. Uh, try to understand what lies are they believing. And you do that by digging away layers and layers of their heart and letting the Holy Spirit illuminate um, these areas of their heart that they didn't even know that were there. Because ultimately, someone's homosexuality is the outward symptom of deeper heart-level issues. And so it's the outward symptom of deeper idolatry, the outward symptom of lies they believed, of where they're putting their hope. And so we can dig into that and we can help them find hope in the gospel in places where they didn't even know that they needed it. So many times when I'm ministering to someone who's living the homosexual lifestyle or identifying as gay, I can minister to their sexuality without even talking about their sexuality. If they want to talk about their sexuality, that's great. But if they don't, I need to earn that right 
to speak into that area of their life. But sometimes it starts in smaller places. Sometimes it starts by... Uh, you know, looking for different areas where they're putting their hope, looking for different areas where they're dealing with insecurities, where they're dealing with past trauma and abuse. And those are all areas that are probably contributing to their sexuality. So I can minister their sexuality by digging into deep areas of their heart that they don't even realize have to do with their sexuality. But doing that, that all that listening and seeking answers makes me not be foolish and disgraceful, but actually be able to provide them with hope and, and help them understand maybe that you're not born this way. This is not who you have to be, but Christ can renew your mind. He can transform your mind. He has a great plan for you. He loves you. And living a life of surrender to the gospel, uh, no matter what feelings and attractions you have, is worth it because through our obedience to Christ, he gives us life in ways we never could have imagined. Well, that's all I have for you today. I pray that as you go throughout your week, you can examine the lies that you have believed and exchange them for God's truth and that you can apply the gospel hope to people around you. These are complex issues and I'm thankful for you to taking the time to listen and to try to understand. Like I said earlier, go to our website, uh, thegreatexchangepodcast.com or calibrateministries.com for other resources. I appreciate your support of the ministry. I appreciate you sharing with your friends because these are conversations that the world needs to be having and especially us as Christians need to be having. So thank you so much for joining us on The Great Exchange Podcast. Mm-hmm.